Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Welcome to It Could Happen Here, the podcast that you're listening to right now. Uh, it's your host, Christopher Wong, and we are back with part two of our interview with Eli Friedman about the recent protests in China. I, I want to go back and talk about lying flat and that whole kind of, I don't know, movement discourse that was happening last year, because it, it seems like the, the the kind of, I don't know if nihilism is the right word, but this kind of like collective understanding that the whole sort of bargain of the Chinese social system of, you know, and this was to some extent extended to everyone, right? Like the, the bargain of the Chinese social system of every, everyone keep your head down, we'll all get rich together. It suddenly became clear that this just wasn't going to happen. And, you yeah. know, I mean, I, I think like in, in, in some sense, it's possible to sort of like, you know, you can, you can put on your sort of like hard materialist hat and you can like look at like the number of hammers banging out and you can just look at the sort of Chinese GDP graph over the last decade and be like, mm-hmm. okay, well, so eventually like when it, when it, when it, when it hit like 2%, eventually we were going to have protests. But yeah, I, I guess, I guess I, I, I wanted to talk a bit about like, yeah, what, what lying flat was, we, we covered this on the show a long time ago when it was happening, but, and then also sort of how that attitude shift was important or wasn't important. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it wasn't. <laughs> I think it was, but yeah. I, I think it's very important, right? So yeah, you can't just be a crude materialist and like mechanically read social protest off of some chart of, you know, falling profitability or something like that. Um, but there, it, it, it is a cultural expression of real fundamental changes in the organization of the Chinese economy. Uh, you know, we already talked about how the post-89 generation was like, you go to college and like you come out and, you know, you'll, you'll be middle class, right, on average. And that's just not at all the case anymore. 
and young people in China and and older people, middle aged people, you know, who are who have children who are who are going through the system, um, feel immense pressure and like immense competition in all spheres of life, beginning from a young age in elementary school all the way up through high school through the super competitive and intense university admissions process, and then after graduating university and getting a job and then getting a job that can, you know, um, uh, you can earn enough money to be able to afford an apartment. And so here we have to understand, you know, the cost of housing and all of the other costs associated with social reproduction. So the co- like the cost of care workers, right? If middle-class people in, in places like Shanghai and Beijing expect to have domestic workers, um, you know, looking after their children, they expect to be able to hire tutors who can, um, you know, who can tutor their children in, in English or in math. Um, and so just people feel under unbelievable pressure and this is in a situation that part of the, the reason that the, the, the pressure has, is really ramped up is that there are fewer, um, good paying jobs. You know, youth unemployment now in China is, is around 20%. Um, and so one of the responses to that is just forget about it. We're, you know, we're going to lie flat. Uh, we're gonna, we're going to reject all of this. There's different expressions and I don't actually, the, the, the sort of like, you know, sociologist in me is like, well, we don't actually have numbers to know how many people are, are lying flat. And like, that is true. Like maybe most people are still just going to work and, and, you know, doing their job, but there's enough, you know, stories and certainly in terms of cultural resonance of people just doing the bare minimum at work or working for short periods of time, earning just enough money to survive and not worrying about meeting those kind of social expectations around Buying a car, buying an apartment, getting married, having kids, because people just see it as as kind of as kind of hopeless. Um, and so, I think that's a really important backdrop because we have to understand at some level that these protests are about a sense of hopelessness, right? Be it economic opportunities, be it the a political system where Xi Jinping is going to reign as long as he wants, or be it zero COVID, where you know at any given moment you're going to be locked inside your apartment and you're not going to be able to see your friends or or do anything. So, um, yeah, so I think it's very relevant. Yeah, and, and I, I wanted, I guess, also to – this is something I talk about on this podcast a lot, but I need to like – I want you to like drill into people's heads. Like just the sheer amount that people in China are working, just like like the, the, the number of hours, the number of days a week, the, the amount of effort that is being put in is like it, – it, it, is, it, 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 is, it is a level of raw surplus value extraction that like – uh, like like mo- most places in the world haven't seen in like a court like in, in like half a century it is like or even longer than that like it is it is a a truly stunning like is a truly stunning level of exploitation in terms of things like 996 in terms of the people who are working schedules that are way worse than that who don't really ever get like talked about because they're not tech workers or they're not people who have sort of like a platform Chinese society. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's extremely it's like, normalized, you know? I mean, like the, the 996 thing, which, which first of all, it, it is maybe worth mentioning that China legally has a 40 hour work week. You're only allowed to work 36 hours of overtime a month. Right. So probably, you know, not more than 49 or 50 hours a week. That's, that's like the legal, yeah. uh, the legal standard. Nobody even remotely pretends like that is a thing in any industry. There's legal debates about like whether it applies to, to professional white collar, you know, salaried workers or not. But, um, 
you know, when the 996 thing came out and there was a pretty cool, I think, movement based mostly online uh, among tech workers, it was it was great. It was very inspiring. And also every single blue collar worker in yes. China was like, we've been waiting for 996 for decades, you know, Um and so, so it is. It is very normal across these these different kinds of uh, of stratum, for sure. Um, one of the the cool things about nine eight six is people were 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 revolting against it and saying yeah. like this is an unacceptable way to live. And again, it comes back to this whole thing of like all of these feelings of you know these enhanced pressures, right? Where it's just like, how do I live in this city? How do I find like decent housing? Like. If you know, if I want to have like a social life, which is a thing that some people in their twenties want to have, you know, like how do I do that? It's impossible under those circumstances. Um, so, so I, again, like you, you can't read these movements mechanically off of these these uh, these structural changes, but like that is a thing that has been happening that is unresolved. It's not at least for the you know, the, the, the blank paper protesters, the kind of the more elite students and stuff, they haven't specifically articulated um, their grievances as labor demands. Um, but it's, it, it's at least an important backdrop to what's happening today. Yeah. And I think it's, I remember like, oh, I think, I think this was like mid 2019. I'm trying to remember when I, when I saw this specific video, but there, 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 there was a video from the Hong Kong protests that was like, in some ways, it was, it was like literally one of these classic, like, like sort of Twitter things about like, what do you want out? What do you want to do after the revolution? And it was like, most of it was like, I want to start a bakery, like I want to work in a library. And, yeah. and it, 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 it strikes me that there's these things that get subsumed under, you know, when, 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 when you see a pro-democracy movement, right? When, when you see, you know, like the, the sort of. Well, I, I I guess that there's something interesting too here about the like like day one of the protest. There were a lot of videos that were talking about Iran, and that kind of seemed to like like the, the very early videos were about sort of solidarity with the protest in Urumqi, and then like it was like it was like specifically tying that to Iran, and then to sort of pro democracy demands, and then later on you get the sort of like. Uh, like the, the the Shanghai, like down with the party, down with Xi Jinping, like we want democracy yeah. and free speech stuff. But it, it, it strikes me that like a lot of the times when you see people making those demands, it's because they think that like, you know, it's like there, there, there's a whole set of, de- of of like things that they like things that they believe about the future and about what will happen in the future that are like not articulated in the demands. But if you talk about if you talk about them, like if you talk to people about what they think is going to happen after that there's this whole sort of like opening up of social stuff that they think will be yeah. the, like the necessary results of like the end of the one party state. And it's like, you know, and on one hand, like, I, I don't know, I, I had this debate a lot with like, like there, there's a specific kind of like Chinese international student you get in the U S who like comes to the U S and is like Im- immediately like enormously enamored with the U S. So it's, it's, it's sort of the mirror image of how we, we, we have a bunch of people who are like incredibly enamored with the Chinese state and then right. you get people who come here and are like incredibly enamored with the American state. And it's like, well, yeah, OK, the, the, this politician will see you and they will talk to you. However, comma, in about two years, they will be voting to throw you in prison. So like, yeah, <laughs> but like obviously, like both pe- people in China understand the Chinese system sucks and that the promises that people like in the U.S. believe about it are fake. And then people in the U.S. understand that you can get a multi-party democracy and things can still be absolutely shit. But right. yeah, yeah, you know, it, it strikes me that there, there's a lot of 
stuff sort of embedded in 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 these demands that are like not really explicitly articulated until later. And, and that's also, I guess, been a, a hard part about these protests is that like, I don't know, it's hard to get information out. You can get short interviews with people. Mostly what you're getting are like 30 seconds of footage of people yelling at a cop. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot going on. Like if you have this one, this tiny little opening and then instantly you have protests in like all of these cities all over the country, dozens of universities, protest among, you know, working class migrants, like middle class people in Shanghai, like, uh, you know, all, all across the country, like that suggests that people have a variety of sets of grievances and they're kind of funneling them through this this meta narrative around ending the lockdown, which is not to diminish the significance of the actual lockdowns, which are, are ca- causing real human suffering. But there's definitely a lot going on. And, you know, one of the big ones is what's happening in Xinjiang. Like it, it's we still don't really know how Uyghurs are feeling about all yeah. of this. The fact that like all of the all the protests in, in the big eastern cities are about commemorating what happened in Urumqi uh, in a fire that killed mostly, if not exclusively, Uyghurs. Like that 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 deserves to be talked about. Um, I, we don't really know how like the Han people on the streets in the eastern cities, like if they're thinking about this this backdrop of you know, massive repression, surveillance, and, and mass internment of, of Uyghurs and other Muslim minorities. Um, but that's another thing. Uh, and, and and I think the same thing goes for the treatment of migrant workers in, in Foxconn and these other um, blue-collar workers who are put into the closed loop. Like, to what extent are urban um, Han people still kind of willing to go along with sacrificing migrant workers and treating them as as, as second-class citizens? Or... Is there a possibility of developing some real sense of, of solidarity um, with ending not just the closed loop, but ending, you know, like hukou based discrimination, ending the camps in Xinjiang? You know, I mean, you can kind of spin out from there if if you are interested in thinking about what it would mean to democratize China in like a in a robust sense of the word. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to fifteen hundred dollars again sign up using code buckeye and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and game sense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park that's 1-800-GAMBLER Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. 
With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. I think points out another thing about these protests that are complicated, right? Which is that, like, they are cross-class in a lot of ways, but I don't know. It, it seems to me like the way they're manifesting is very much down class lines. Like, okay, I, I, I genuinely don't understand what's going on in Guangzhou. That, like, every single video I see out of Guangzhou is, like, 70 people throwing bottles at a cop. And, like, yep. every video I see out of, like, Shanghai is, like, six people holding a piece of paper but it very much seems like, you know, like when, 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 the, when the cops are getting to like these these sort of like these working class neighborhoods, these neighborhoods that are like a informal housing, these neighborhoods that are full of migrant workers, there are these really, really intense conflicts with the police in ways that like kind of aren't happening. Well, I mean, OK, that's because that kind of stuff seems to be happening in a room sheet. And I, th- I think it's happening there partially because, of the, you know, this is like, I, well, OK, I don't know off the top of my head whether that's more militarized than Tibet. But like one of the most militarized, like one of the most heavily policed places in China. And then also people are just really like the, the, the immediate and palpable anger seems to be the highest there because, you know, I mean, like, like it, it you're, you're going to be more pissed off when it's people in your city or like, you know, you you maybe were like three blocks away from this fire. Yeah. As it like I kills mean, these people. But. Yeah, one one of one piece about about Urumqi is that they've been in some form of lockdown for like a hundred days. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So it, that's not, and and part of that has to do with the fact that it is this colonial setting where they feel like they can do things to people that they can't do in Beijing and Shanghai. Like people in, in Shanghai are not going to do that, right? It's just yeah. like it's inconceivable. Um, there's obviously a lot of Han people, and Urumqi is actually a majority Han. Yeah, I think it's like seventy percent Han now. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Um, that that sounds right to me. And Xinjiang is is increasingly Han as well, although I, I believe Uyghurs still constitute a plurality. So you know, there, there's just like each the the lockdowns kind of filter down to these different localities and into different communities with their different social and class compositions in different kinds of ways and have different kinds of effects, right? So you can put people in lockdown uh, in Xinjiang for a hundred days, and they're going to be really pissed when yeah. they get out. In the case of Guangzhou, you know, th- this was also part of the sequence that I think has been written out of the official narrative. It's not; it wasn't just Foxconn. You had the initial Foxconn uh, escape in late October, early November, and then you had these pretty intense riots that happened in Guangzhou. But those were in these urban villages, so-called urban villages, largely informal housing, very densely populated, that are overwhelmingly migrant workers. In, the, in this case, it was mostly people from Hubei, um, which is which is where Wuhan is. Mm. And um, and so you know, just those migrant communities were put into lockdown in Guangzhou. So if you oh, were over in, yeah, if you were over in Tianhe District, which is uh, the sort of the, uh, the the newer, like fancier part of Guangzhou with lots of high rises, um, you know, those places were not under lockdown. Jesus. And so they 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 put the migrant communities, and and I saw some like really not nice stuff. You know, people just being like, oh yeah, you know, the the local Guangzhou people on the other side of the river. Are just like going about their life, and and they're they're okay with what's happening to the migrants. And the migrants were 
as is the case in some of these earlier lockdowns, actually facing real subsistence crisis. Like they mm-hmm. didn't have enough food to eat and they couldn't leave to try to get food. Um, so that's why you saw these super intense riots. And that's why you see them confronting the police and, you know, screaming at them, throwing things at them. You see tear gas, uh, all, all of these things. Yeah, I, th- I, think, so, that's, I think that's the yeah. only place I've seen tear gas so far. Like maybe maybe uh, in a room yeah. I'm not. I there there may have been a video. I, I don't I don't remember specifically about a room cheat, but definitely like Guangzhou is the only place I've seen that level of repression. Yeah, yeah. No, it was. It was I mean, you know, the the, the Zhengzhou Foxconn was probably the the most violent and the largest yeah, scale. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, that was it was a little bit different. In Guangzhou, it's kind of like smaller streets. They're fighting, you know, street by street. So. Um, yeah, so they have a different experience of people in Shanghai, again, not to minimize uh, their demands. And I think it's it's important for people to find points of commonality um, uh, against this policy. Um, but, it's it, you know, it's not like that if if you're if you're a middle class person, uh, Han person uh, in Shanghai, which is, again, not to minimize the, the very real difficulties that those folks have been facing as well. Something this kind of, it, uh, you know, I, I think there, 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 there's, there's like another group of people who we should probably talk about a little bit. Which is like this sort of downwardly mobile class of business owners who've been mm-hmm. kind of just getting annihilated by the lockdowns, and this, this, that that happened in the U.S. too. Although yeah. the Chinese version of it seems they're like less mar- marginally less absolutely psychotic. Like they haven't <laughs> tried they, they they haven't tried to like kidnap <laughs> a governor yet. Like they, no, they're, no. they're they're not like they're not as fascist as their American counterparts. Fewer <laughs> um, guns for sure. Yeah. But it's it's it seems it seems like there, there's a kind of interesting, I don't know. It, there's there's a class dynamic that kind of reminds me of Occupy in that you have this sort of like kind of tenuous alliance between like some some parts of the working class, these elite students, and like this downwardly mobile middle class. But it, it strikes me that you know, I mean, the the, the 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 sort of defining thing about Occupy, I think like the defining thing about the whole sort of 2011. 2013 wave of protests was that like it was it was really really easy to get people together into a physical space and when when you were in that single physical space it was like you know it's not, it's not like class disappeared but it was like you know it, it was it was it was it was it was a way in which sort of like classes were mixing and you could form this new kind of like identity based around like what you're doing in this place and it doesn't really seem like that's possible here it really seems like I don't know. Like it, there, there's these huge, like you know, it, 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 this this is a protest that is like happening in a lot of different places at the same time. But it's like it doesn't. They're segmented. Yeah, they're segmented. Yeah. They don't. And they don't. They don't really have a sort of like cohesive social identity that, in a way that you could get out of a bunch of people being in the same place. Yeah. No, I, I think that's right. I mean, they're spatially segmented. Um, something uh, someone pointed out on Twitter. I can't even remember who. But they're drawing comparisons to the 1989 protest and the kind of the, the physical arrangements where people were living. And so particularly given, you know, the online censorship, like that's been really important. So you have these worker dormitories and Foxconn, like you can organize by actually talking to people yeah, or student dormitories. Yeah. Right. Um, and then you have much smaller protests among the, you know, the middle class people who are able to circulate things um, online. And so the consequence of that is is they are pretty segmented. And I think. You know, everyone has their own grievance with zero COVID. Yeah. <laughs> but those grievances are actually pretty different, right? So yeah. 
the Foxconn workers don't like the closed loop management system where, you know, where they can't leave, where, where they're subjected to unsafe conditions, et cetera. Um, you know, the, the, the petty bourgeoisie, like they don't like the fact that there's no foot traffic, you know, coming into their shops. Right. And, um, I don't know if you saw the video of the guy like kicking down the wall with a soup ladle on his yeah, hand. Yeah, yeah. I was um, thinking about that specifically. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was it was very theatrical and, and dramatic and, uh, and a great video. You know, in terms of like the, the class position, I'm, uh, yeah, you can see how it can kind of capsize into fash yeah. pretty quickly. Um, and then like the students, uh, you know, they want to be able to live normal student lives and like leave their dormitories. And that's a thing that I think students anywhere can associate with. So it's like, yeah, they're all against the zero COVID policy. But then it's kind of like, what are their politics after that? And I think if if this is going to open up. Um, you know, some kind of more expansive political vision, like it's going to be hard to maintain that, like that unity, right? The students are already talking about like, you know, censorship, freedom of speech, those things, which I, I support, I think are very good. You're probably not going to get the petty bourgeoisie to like risk arrest and violence with the cops, you know, over like holding up a blank white piece of paper. Yeah. Um, you know, and then the migrant workers have another whole set of things, you know, around like basic like health infrastructure, like, you know, can they get access to decent health care in the places where they're where, where they're living? And that's not going to resonate to the same extent with the students. So, you know, yeah, yeah. I, the, 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 the one I think about a lot was like there, there, there was a video going around of this guy being like, I don't care about politics. I just want to go to the movies. And I was like, this is the most American person in China. Like th- this is the one person yeah. that I'm like, OK, like, the, the, you know, and, and like the, there is that kind of sort of like I just I just want to live my normal life like sure thing that's happening. And then that, that I think is a kind of recognizable American impulse. But then you have the stuff that's like, did, did you see did you see those pictures that were going around of like the, the 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 hospitals they were putting migrant workers in were just like the, the entire bathroom floor is just like covered in poop and like no it's, oh, oh god, god it's awful yeah it's like the whole whole bathroom floors are just flooded there's like just like the 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 they that you can't flush toilet paper down it so there's just these like mountains of toilet paper and and I think like oh the, god the, yeah it's it's awful like the, the difference between the people whose things are like I want to go yeah. to the movies and the people whose demand is like please stop locking me in this like like, like, you know, that, that was, I guess, I guess the, the other sort of lost thing that seemed to be pretty big in Chinese social media that I don't, that wasn't talked about much here was the, the, uh, the, there was this bus that capsized that killed like 27 people who were being taken like to a facility to specifically to hold like, you know, this is like one, one of these sort of like, I, I don't even, I, I don't even really want to dignify them by calling them hospitals because they're like, yeah. Like just a complete disaster, um, but where were people were being held, like held because they quarantine had quarantine centers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't know. It, it seems like there, there's a really big sort of like, you know, I, mean, I, I guess it's like like the, the 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 protests are reflecting all of all of the sort of like existing class divides in Chinese society in yep. ways that I think are are pretty obvious if you look at it. Which I, I guess in some sense, like th- this, this does strike me as the most Tiananmen-esque thing. Well, okay, the, the most Tiananmen-esque thing about it is the way that the media has been like specifically covering the grievances of exactly like two groups of people, which is like the right. students yeah. and like the petite bourgeois. Right. And then all of the labor stuff has just vanished after about day two. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and I, I mean... I don't have much optimism that 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 the coverage will, yeah, will change, no. <laughs> um, but you know there there is a, an experience um, 
that middle-class people, I think, have had pretty acutely going back, at least to the Shanghai lockdown, of this realization that there actually are no limits on state power. Yeah. Right? And that, to them, was kind of like a shock. You know, they're like, oh, like, I thought I was just going to be able to go about my life, like, as long as I didn't, you know, demand to be able to vote for the president, like, I can have a job, I can, um, you know, go eat hot pot or, you know, get whatever kind of delicious food I want living in these big cities, can travel internationally, you know, all of these things are, are you know, more or less okay. Um, there's been lots of, you know, there's lots of other people in Chinese society for whom that's never been the experience, right? Yeah. Most importantly, the minorities uh, and the workers uh, and, and the migrant workers who have always, you know, experienced that raw and unchecked power of the state. And so, you know, does, does this have the capacity to, to kind of bring them together, you know, it's going to be extremely difficult to do, especially because there aren't like spaces for political organizing and working through these differences in a constructive way. Yeah. I mean, I, I will say the, the one thing that kind of, that strikes me as something that it like is just different about this cycle. Is it like, I don't know. I, I don't like, I don't think I've ever seen in my lifetime outside of like really tiny Maoist sex, like people openly calling for the downfall of the government yeah. Like just in, in in a kind of like large systemic way. And like it it, it, it seems like. I don't know, maybe, maybe the censors will sort of get control back, but it, it really seems like there's been this kind of floodgate that's opened where suddenly like there was there's this brief moment where like it suddenly became possible to talk about things where, you know, like like two months ago, it was like one guy laid a sign on a bridge. And like this was this was like the biggest thing that had ever happened in Chinese society, whatever, et cetera, et cetera. And then suddenly, like, you know, you just have people on the streets of Shanghai, like just chanting stuff that wasn't even on that banner. And like, yeah, I don't know, like it it it, it really seems like. Like it's it's not like they've actually like fully lost control of the country or anything. Like they're not even close to that. But it's it's like the 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 sort of like the the sort of regime of terror and fear that had been in place to keep people from doing this kind of stuff has fallen off a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I I'd be very curious to know what the vibe is like in China, and obviously I have not been there for a while, um, but. Like and this is wildly speculative. And if you have any Chinese uh, listeners who want to correct me, I'd be glad to to have some more information about this. But my feeling from afar is that you know, like Xi Jinping is just like you you can't you can't say anything about him, and that even in like private spaces, you know, people just like don't feel like the ability to kind of imagine something different, and like that has been changed. Like I don't think. We're going to see a lot more people on the streets chanting down with Xi Jinping, yeah. down with the Communist Party. Like, that's, you know, that, that's a risky, it's a risky thing to do. But I do think that, like, now at least people know that there's other other people in the country that are thinking the same things that they are thinking. And then at least within, you know, like, you know, face-to-face interactions that people might be a little bit more willing to kind of say, like, oh, like, these protests happened. That was pretty crazy. Like, let's talk about that. Um, and so, so, so that to me is optimistic. Um, and I do hope that more of this organizing can take place, you know, offline because I think that's the only safe way to do it. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I, 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 I think something has changed significantly and you see it here, you know, I mean, I've been teaching Chinese students for 10 years. Um, there's no question that people are interested, um, in talking about things now in, in a, in a more open way than was the case a couple of years ago, and like here at Cornell, we had we had a little vigil for 
um, for Urumqi as well. And people were chanting, you know, down with Xi Jinping, um, which is kind of like, okay, you're, you know, you're in Ithaca, New York. Like it's not dangerous. Well, yeah. I, I think students feel it to be dangerous and definitely a month or two ago would have felt it to be quite dangerous. So, yeah. And I, and I guess we, we probably shouldn't like completely downplay the fact that like the CCP has international networks in a way that's for sure. Like it, it, the, the way it tends to get covered in the press is very sort of like this kind of like right wing fear mongering, but it's like, no, these people do exist. And like, yeah, like it, it is possible for you to like tweet something while you're in the U S and then like someone in China finds out about it and things start to go very badly for you very quickly. And yeah, that's for sure. Know, like that's, that's a, that's a real danger that. Yeah. And, and regardless of, of how many spies there are, how pervasive they are, like it is a real experience, a real fear that Chinese students yeah. here have, right? They don't feel comfortable, you know, they might feel more comfortable speaking openly here than they do actually within China, but they still don't feel totally free. And, and that is a very widespread sentiment. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. I guess sort of in closing, I don't know, my, I don't think anyone can really have much of an analysis that's better than them guessing about what's going to happen next, because this already was something that like two weeks ago, like if you'd ask anyone, like anyone in China or outside of China who wasn't like, I don't know, like in the Falun Gong or something, whether whether they were suddenly <laughs> going to be large still like protests in China, everyone would have been like, are you nuts? Yeah. But yeah, I'm I'm wondering how what you think is going to happen next. I don't know. My 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 sort of tentative read of it was like it it, it seems like I don't know. It, 
it, it seems to me that for, for a very, very long time, the Chinese political system was specifically set up to stop this. Like, like this, this was the exact thing. It was, it was designed to make sure there would never be another sort of like, like there would never be a, a, a large, well, you know, we don't know how, how long this is going to go on. Right. But there, there was, there was never, there was never supposed to be another street movement that was like coordinated between cities that was large and that had real political demands. And, yeah. you know, I, like, I, I, I don't know. I, maybe, maybe I could, I could be the most wrong I've ever been, but I, I cannot imagine this, like this specific round of protests really like challenging the government at all like i don't know something something would have to like i don't know like aliens would have to like descend from the sky or something (laughs) like i i don't know i don't don't, like i don't i don't think they can do it but the frequency at which these kinds of things break out has been increasing steadily for the past probably 20 or 30 years i mean the 90s are sort of a low point for this stuff but you know like if if you're if you're in a country like Ecuador, right? You've seen like two pretty large scale like mass street movements in like three years, right? And you know, it's, 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 it seems to be sort of broadly the the there's there, there's there's been this sort of like the the the, the decaying economic conditions have combined with this like de- de- the general decaying ability of the state to prevent like a subsequent movement from from unfolding. And so I don't know, like I, 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 I my, my sense is that this one's not going to do anything, but we might see another one of these in like three years or something. Yeah, I don't think we're going to see this movement in the in the weeks and months to come to like cohere into this like massive politically potent force that has the capacity to either continue to exert demands on the central state or threaten state power. Like, I don't think that that's going to happen. Um, I do think, I think, I think the first thing is to acknowledge and to chalk up the victories that have already been, um, won. Yeah. So Foxconn, Foxconn workers got paid, you know, they went out yeah, and they, they rioted. Like 10,000 or something like yeah, that. Foxconn's <laughs> like, here's 10,000 yuan for you to leave, yeah. not even for you to do your job. Right. So like, and those were workers that came in after the other workers escaped. So they yeah. had been there in quarantine for like a couple days, rioted, got 10,000 yuan, which is like almost 1500 us dollars. Like. They, so, so they did really well. Um, and, but I think more broadly, you know, around the zero COVID, the government has already made changes. They will never acknowledge we're doing this because yeah. people protested. Like, yeah. that's not how they operate. But, um, you know, they said, okay, we're actually going to get more serious about vaccinating people, which is what they need to do in order to have sort of a, a, an exit strategy. There have been some some signals, low key ones about further loosening. I mean, I think that there's a real question about how they go about doing this, because if they just let it rip tomorrow, like actually hundreds of thousands oh, yeah, of people will people, die. Yeah. yeah. So like, I think that what they need to do is they need to vaccinate people and they need to build a real public health infrastructure that includes migrant workers. But, you know, that's We'll see if that happens. So, so I think that those are already victories, like which which we should which you know we should take account of. And I think moving forward, the ability to repress like the 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 street demonstrations should not be under underestimated. Like the state has immense resources at its capacity. I don't think that we're going to continue to see people chanting, you know, down with the Communist Party in the streets regularly. Um, so I, I think that they'll be able to at least push that down a little bit and maybe with some concessions, people will be satisfied. You know, the the guy who just wants to be able to go to the movie, like next year this time, there's a good chance he will just be able to go to the movies. 
to kind of continue with my labor-centric perspective, though, I think it's going to be harder for for workers. Uh, I think it's going to be harder for them to repress that. As long as the closed-loop management systems are in effect and lockdowns are happening, I mean, it just puts insane demands on these workers. And there were revolts against it when it first happened in Shanghai back in April. Uh, and I think that those will continue to exist. Um, but I think we'll probably see this kind of reversion to what's existed for the last uh, couple decades, which is lots of you know small scale, somewhat manageable and localized protests. The question is like, does this kind of open up um, the possibility of politicization, which we have not really seen since 1989, um, in, in, a, in a robust way at least? And so does this kind of open up some of those possibilities so those local protests can begin to, to speak to each other with some sort of common language um, and and cohere some kind of political force that's harder for the state to tame. Um, we'll see. Yeah, and I guess and I guess the the other sort of X factor here is like, can 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 the CCP get the growth rate above like five percent? No, but and yeah, yeah, that, like, that and like, that's, like that's no. like yeah. I I I don't I don't know how they do it. Like that, uh, I don't know. Like I I I short of like short of like actually just letting all of the sort of like like. All, all, all of the sort of like slack and excess capacity just get like, you know, just just like intentionally tanking the entire economy and just like running all of these sort of unprofitable businesses into the ground. Like, yeah, I don't I don't see how they do that. And that does seem to me like, you know, to be a kind of like the the, the, the sort of like looming horizon over. I mean, this and this is really true of everyone, like the, 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 the sort of looming horizon over like every government in the world has been that the growth rate has been collapsing for like the last 40 years. And yeah. China was, you know, China, the Chinese economy was like the last thing that was really driving it. And that's like not really true anymore. It's it's a disaster. I mean, and then even even without COVID, it was sort of like not going great. I mean, it wasn't yeah. like, you know, I mean, it, it hadn't reached like it, it hadn't like reached like, you know, like recession or it hadn't really reached like sort of post-industrialized country levels of like here's your 2% growth every year, be happy with it. But like, I don't know. Yeah, but but the growth, I mean, this is maybe like another whole conversation, but like the growth has become less effective, right? Yeah, yeah. It's this like investment-led growth. It's there, there's massive growth in debt and they can, you know, build another bridge, build another airport, build, I mean, they're not building the apartment blocks as much anymore, but they, they do that they can prop up the growth a little bit, right? But like the the fundamental problem that they've been unable to address is like increasing domestic consumption, yeah. having a more equitable model of growth. And the reason that they can't do that is fundamentally a political problem. Like they can't figure out a way to give working class people more money and to give them some social protections. Um, and like until they resolve that political problem, like I just don't see them being able to deal with, with that economic problem. So that means you are going to, continue to have this kind of ongoing forms of stagnation. Zero COVID really hurts it a lot more, of course, the yeah. geopolitical conflict with the U.S. And, and Biden, you know, trying to economically kneecap them, like that doesn't help. And then the demographics of, you know, like all of these things are, are making making their lives much more difficult. And so one way to interpret what's happened um, under, under zero COVID is the expansion of a massive and terrifying surveillance state that will allow them to weather whatever political storms are coming in the future. 
Yeah, and I guess I don't know. We'll 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 see we'll see whether that works for them. I am somewhat skeptical <laughs> in that. Like I don't know. Like good luck. Uh, actually, terrible luck. I hope it goes badly for them. The, the worst of luck. Yeah. <laughs> <for sure. laughs> yeah. So Eli, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, and okay, where where can people find you and find the stuff that you do? Uh, well, I'm on Twitter uh, as long as it's still there. Um, Eli D. Friedman and uh, yeah I'm, I'm on the internet uh, <laughs> it's, yeah, I don't know that's that's the main place Come if you're in Ithaca come on by alright uh, yeah this, this has been It Could Happen Here drag every government into perpetual and terminal crisis until it stops existing Happen Here is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find sources for It Could Happen Here updated monthly at coolzonemedia.com slash sources. Thanks for listening. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.